Especially welcome to uh, Gail and Ian, who I've just lost, who was here a minute ago, from Caring for Life. Thank you very much for making the trip down. I think it's been a few years now since we've had someone from Caring for Life. So some of you know a lot about Caring for Life, some of you might not know anything, but I think Gail will cover uh, everything tonight. So let me just pray and then I'll hand over to her straight away. Father, we remember you are the God who cares about the needy who cry out. You are the God who cares about the afflicted who have no one to help them. You take on the role of caring and being a rock and a refuge. And you also use your people to care for the afflicted and the needy. And we thank you for caring for life and the work that they are doing and have been doing for many years. And we pray that during our time together this evening... Uh, we will learn more, and not just about the specific work of caring for life, but just what it means to be a Christian and to care for other people. We pray that you'll bless Gail as she speaks to us, and us as we listen. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much for the welcome. Um, It's a joy to be with you this evening. Um, As Tim said, my name is Gail and I have been working at Caring for Life now since 2014. I've been around for a lot longer than that as a volunteer and a trustee. But um, I bring you greetings from Peter, the original CEO and founder of Caring for Life, who was very pleased to hear that we were coming here today. And from Jonathan, the current CEO, who I think was the last visitor, maybe, that you had. So um, I'm very much aware that we're among old friends here, even if I haven't met you before. And I do want to thank you for your fellowship in the gospel and your prayers and your concern for what's happening at Caring for Life. I do also want to give you a little bit of a an insight, for those of you who know us well, maybe an insight into recent developments and what's happening, and for any who don't know us, maybe a little bit of background. I know caring for life is quite difficult to describe, and I know at times when I've um, brought teams of people there, having spoken to them about the place for months and months on end, once they come they say, you never told me it was like this. So it's very hard to put into a few words. So I'd like to describe to you a little bit of what we do, But at any stage, I'm very happy for you to interrupt and ask me things and uh, hopefully we can get a good idea and a bit of an update. I plan to talk a little bit and then show a DVD and then maybe give you one or two individual stories after that, if that's okay. So for any of you who are not familiar, um, Caring for Life started 32 years ago. Next month we'll have our 32nd birthday And we like to make a fuss about these things. We celebrate all events and and birthdays. Um, 32 years ago, the situation that presented itself in Leeds at that time was a situation of young men who were leaving the care system and ending up in the streets. And these young men had been, um, a number of them had been looked after by Esther Smith, who who was a social worker running a children's home. And they had come to the church that Peter Parkinson was the pastor of. At that time, it was Leeds Reformed Baptist Church. And the church had grown to love these young men, um, these boys as they were, and then these young men. But as they grew up and left the care system, 
Very many of them ended up in very difficult and chaotic lifestyles. Maybe homelessness, crime, addictions, all sorts of troubles with nobody in their corner and nobody to look out for them. And um, those of you who've been supporting Caring for Life for a long time will know the the legendary story of the Sunday where um, Peter said to Esther, this is terrible, somebody ought to do something about this. Um, And legend has it that she poked him in the chest and said, well, what are you going to do about it? And he said, said, what can I do? I'm only a Baptist pastor. And she said, well, you can do something or you can do nothing. And Caring for Life now, 32 years on, is a result of what the Lord put on their hearts, the something that the Lord put in their hearts to do back then. So at that stage, the work started with housing homeless young men. There were four young men that the work started with. Um, and it has developed in lots and lots of different ways over the years. For any of you who have visited Crag House Farm, where the work still is based, you can see that lots of things are happening now. Um, But the work that we do at the moment covers three main areas um, in the city of Leeds. The first area is continuing the homes. We still have two homes, one for gentlemen and one for ladies, and those are long-term homes for people who are never going to be able to cope on their own and maybe don't have family support to help them, who need to live in a supported living situation. So there's still those two homes. We also have um, our farm on the north side of Leeds where we have 16 therapeutic daytime projects happening and about 110 people coming through the week to be looked after at the farm. So we've got people doing agriculture, horticulture, equestrian, mechanics, art, craft, drama, lots of things happening at all times. But very often it's the breakfast, the lunch, the fellowship, the companionship, the friendship, the being part of that family that's so important to the people who come to the farm every week. And the third main aspect of the work is our housing support team who goes out across the city of Leeds working with vulnerable individuals and families who find it really hard to just manage the ups and downs of life. And really the aim of that team is to help people sustain tenancies and avoid homelessness and to help them be able to manage their bills and get to their appointments and do all the things that people find so difficult. Very many of the people we support don't have anybody in their corner and don't maybe have the friends, the family, the support that so many of us have. A lot of them have a lot of different types of difficulties but would fall through the net within society. So a lot of the help that we give at Caring for Life is very practical, very um, mundane, but we're very clear that we're a Christian organisation with a gospel focus and our motto is sharing the love of Jesus. And our desire is in all of the very simple and practical things that we do, to really show Jesus' love to people who maybe haven't known even human love in their lifetime in the way that we would wish they had, but to show them human love and to show them God's love and that God's love um, is the source of this. One of the joys of, of my job is I get to meet all the new referrals when they come to the farm to talk to them about what it is they want and what we can do. And it's an amazing opportunity to be able to say, that we're a Christian organisation. We're here because God has first loved us and that's the reason that we want to share Jesus' love. We make it clear 
that everything that we do is open to people of all religions and none. And there's no discrimination and there's no pressure. But it's very clear from the outset that it's a Christian ministry. And it's wonderful to see people go say that they still want to be involved. Um, As one of our young men said to one of his friends, he said um, he was recommending it. He just loved coming to the farm. And he said to one of his friends, they're all Christians up there, you know, but they're all right. (laughs) Don't let that put you off. Um, So it is wonderful to be able to be practically able to help people, but to make it clear that this isn't our love, this isn't human effort. We're doing this because God first loved us and we want to share his love um, with those people. So a day on the farm can bring very many different things. We all start together in the morning with a time of prayer and breakfast together before people go off to their projects. And then we all come and eat lunch together, coffee together, lunch together. That's the staff, all our beneficiaries, our volunteers. So it's very much a family atmosphere. And even when we gather in the morning for prayer for A short time, five, ten minutes of prayer together in the mornings. It's totally optional. Our beneficiaries can choose to come after prayer time and just eat breakfast or they can come a bit later. They don't have to stay in for it, but it's amazing how many do. It's amazing how many want to be part of that start of the day and choose to come and do that with us. Or as one of our young ladies sometimes decides she's going to opt out and go for a smoke break, but she'll often lodge her prayer request first before she goes and again it's a wonderful way to set the tone of of what we're trying to do um but we meet and again for those of you who've seen it our canteen or refectory is uh, a converted scout hut which is now bulging at the seams because we sometimes would have 70 people 80 people trying to get a seat trying to eat but one of the things that when i first came to caring for life that really amazed me was the range and variety of people who might be in there sitting together having lunch on any given day. Because in many ways, we don't have any referral criteria whatsoever. If someone needs help and we're able to give it, then that's what we try to do. Our only criteria really are to target those who are most in need of help. So on any given day, we may have people there who have learning difficulties to the extent that they can't write their name, maybe eating lunch at the same table with somebody with a chemistry degree. We've got people who've actually lived rough, who've been in and out of prison, who've been troubled with addictions. We've, um, you know, people there who maybe if we didn't know them and we didn't count them among our friends, we might be afraid to walk past them on a dark night. And at the same table, they might be sitting with somebody who's got a cuddly toy in their bag and doesn't like to leave it at home. So you've got people with autism, people with mental health problems, people with learning difficulties, people who've maybe just had a horrendous set of life experiences and they've hit um, a period of chaos and they just need some help. And um, one of the things that struck me when I first started volunteering at Caring for Life Um, My background was working in an education authority as a psychologist. I'm very used to our referral routes and our criteria and our different types of um, provisions. Was that when you looked at Caring for Life and you just saw all these people thrown into the one place together, it's crazy. It just shouldn't work. How on earth can this possibly work? And the answer is only by the grace of God. 
There's a, it's a family, and it's not a family of people who've got it all together helping others. It's a family of broken people telling other broken people that Jesus is the only answer. And that's why it works. And it is wonderful, actually, to see a number of our beneficiaries who've come to know the Lord, who are the best possible missionaries to others, who are reaching out to others, and who are praying avidly in the mornings, Lord, help us reach more people with your love. Provide for this charity so that we can reach more people with your love. Lots of the guys that we've been supporting for many years see themselves as much part of the ministry as any of us. Um, And by God's grace, they are our greatest evangelists. So God is working. Thank you for your prayers. There's all sorts of things going on and all sorts of challenges and all sorts of, um, well, challenges for the future. Lots of things that are in the media at the moment that you'll be aware of are challenges for us regarding things like the housing shortage, um, the change to universal credit, the uh, mental health provision, all of the sort of things that you're aware of that are affecting every community are affecting the very vulnerable people um, that we are supporting. And I think what we often find is that the folks that we support have almost got the, the double difficulty of having a set of needs which makes them vulnerable in the first instance, but very often not having anybody in their corner to support them with those needs. And that's what the great privilege that Caring for Life often has. Not necessarily solving things, but just walking through life with them. And just being able to point them to the God who loves them and to the Saviour who died for them. And just being able to, well, as the name says, to be there to care for life. And that's one of our great challenges There are so many support agencies out there who can give time-limited support. Um, But our great challenge, we feel, is to put no time limit on that support and to say, as long as we're able to and you want to, we will walk through life with you. We will. And sometimes the support we give changes as people's needs change, but we want to be there for people as long as they want because it is a family and it's a long-term commitment. Um, I was going to just show you a short DVD now before I tell you a few more stories. Um, And the DVD is talking about some of the spiritual impacts and some of the spiritual blessings that we've seen over the last wee while. Um, Everyone who comes to Caring for Life is invited to our Bible studies We have a farm Bible study that happens every other Tuesday afternoon after the farm projects are finished where we have Bible study together and then dinner together on a Tuesday evening. And for those who are supported by our housing support team that goes out across the city, we have a Bible study on a Thursday evening for that. So we have, again, the Bible study and then dinner. So absolutely nothing that we do leaves out food. Everything we do involves food. (laughs) We eat together a lot. Um... And again, these are completely optional. They're after the activities of the day. And it's only people who want to come that come to those. Um, And there's one lovely young man who we support at the moment. um, Who we began to support a couple of years ago, but it was just before Christmas. And when he was referred to us, when we became aware of him... 
his circumstances were very, very difficult. He had um, grown up in the care system, so he didn't know his own family. And he'd lost touch with the foster family that had supported him, or the foster families that had supported him. Um, And he has a degenerative condition, which means he needs to use a wheelchair. But he was in a in a flat share arrangement and was being bullied by the person that he was sharing with. So he didn't have access to his wheelchair and he didn't have access to his own funds. He was being financially bullied and he was in a very, very difficult situation. And thankfully he came to our attention. We were able to find him safe housing. We were able to get him to the right hospital appointments and get him the care that he needed. And as he gathered strength, he um, started to want to come to the farm. However, when we first met him, it was just before Christmas, and we became aware that he'd nowhere to go and nowhere to be. So we spent that first Christmas day at the farm with us um, and couldn't believe it. And driving home that, that afternoon said, are you sure I can definitely come back next year? Can I do this every year? Can this be my Christmas Day family? Um, and he's done that. He's come back every year at Christmas since and has looked forward to it each year. But as he gathered strength um, after that first Christmas he um, started to come to the horticulture project and he was able to do that and we have a driver four days a week which has been a brilliant blessing who's able to go right across the city and bring in folks who can't use public transport so he comes in now twice a week um, and comes to the horticulture project and the art project and uh, has a great time and he's a he's just a glorious young man a lovely guy to have around Um, and when he was first invited to the bible study he was making it very clear. He said, I'm an atheist. I know there's no God. Um, There's no need for me to go to Bible study. And coming closer to the time, um, he said, do you know, I think I might go anyway. I think I might go just in case. He said, I know there's no God, but there might be something in it. Why else would they love you so much? And really that's our greatest prayer that people would see beyond the lifts and the housing and the appointments and the projects and see that there's a God that has inspired this and be inspired themselves to look to him. So um, if we could watch the DVD and then I'll maybe share one or two other details with you. Thanks. In 1987, Caring for Life set out with two very distinct purposes. The first was an action to practically meet the needs of adults who had experienced homelessness, abuse, neglect or may have been completely isolated and were struggling to survive. The second reason Caring for Life came into existence was to simply introduce people to a peace and a love that can only be truly experienced by knowing and loving Jesus and to help people find him as their personal friend and saviour. This short film is just a glimpse into the heart of a few amazing people we have had the privilege of being able to help on that journey. And we pray you will be encouraged as you hear how our Heavenly Father has enabled them to be transformed into one of his children and how they now have a peace and a hope that only Jesus can give. Being around Christians made me, made me feel happy. Made me feel I was part of a family. 
And then now, now, uh, now I, I do feel like a part of family now. found Jesus, he was holding on to me. I was broken and couldn't stand on my own two feet. Because I enjoyed the Bible studies and I want to know a bit more about Jesus Christ. He was, he was born to, he died for us so we get a better life. Going to a better world where there ain't no pain and and I found Jesus, he was standing over me. I was down and out and living on the street. There were times I could have died, but the Lord was by my side. I didn't know it then, but I'd been saved by the blood of Jesus. Last night after Bible study, I suddenly felt like God had gone and it was all not real and but I asked God to show me he's there. God showed me that he's here and he heard and hears everyone in my dear God prayers. I love God and now I know he's listening and taking care of us. I'm gonna keep praying. God loves us no matter what. It's not all like an outward change, like you put a little dot or something on her or like that, sort of inside or something. And I found Jesus, he was walking next to me. On the lonely path of my man-made destiny, he must have looked into my eyes, saw the tears and heard my cries. I think it's, it's something to enter, something to believe from purpose in life, where mm. knowing that there's a God out there, Jesus is Son, and that <clears throat> whatever I've done in my past, whatever I've done, can forgive me, hopefully, for anything I've done wrong in my life, or mm. if I've been Showed uh, malice to anybody and asked for forgiveness and he'll forgive me for that but I try not to yeah. I'm just trying the best person I can be yeah. and I know that Jesus is there for me and he helps me do that As I, as I grow up in somewhere I've yet, it, I was kind of like saddened by what went on with Jesus but caring for life has taught me is it was done for a reason and it was his reason it was God's reason and is that's what makes it it, it is it, 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 it was taken over it was it, 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 it was telling us not to feel guilty is but embrace and is 
you're embracing death is but is you embracing a new life as well we thank the Lord for all these precious souls souls who are now his children we hope that you can see beyond the stuttering and the stammering and hear their hearts speak about their love for Jesus. Whenever I see all those familiar faces, it makes me want to start telling you lots and lots of people's different stories. And uh, I could go on all night telling you the different stories. Any questions about any particular area that anybody has from what we've said already? Or would you just like me to go on and tell you one or two other tales? Yeah? Sorry. Thank you. You had a vision for a came for life village. That seems to have gone into the background now. Um, has the vision changed now? Mm. That's a very big and a very topical question. Um, actually, I was going to come on to the to the vision for the future. It has changed, and yet we've almost come right back to where we started with the vision for, for the, the housing. Um, we're very conscious of the climate in which we're living, and um, I suppose the history, as if you've been following it, you'll be aware, we were looking for a suitable piece of land, which hasn't we haven't found, um, and we were in discussions with Leeds City Council about trying to find a suitable piece of land, and that hasn't happened yet. So then we started to look at a number of smaller plots. But we've really come back again to really seek in the Lord for a suitable larger plot. So in some ways, some of the thinking has changed. But our desire to provide safe, supported housing is exactly as it was with um, the vision for the village. So we do appreciate you praying with us about um, really God's provision for that. Our aim would be to provide, to replace our current homes with like one-bedded units where people could have a little bit more independence but they could still be part of a family and be supported within that. And we would like ideally to be able to have purpose-built homes because we'll be able to meet people's needs better. Um, but we're still, the sticking point is currently still the piece of land, finding somewhere suitable. Um, and being able to do that, but we're very active in our search for that at the moment. The other slight development alongside that, um, some of you might be aware, we have found it very hard to find safe housing for people um, through our housing support team, which is called our Being There team. That was named by the people who they look after. Um, so our Being There team are the people who are really trying to get people out of unsafe housing or off the streets and out of hostels into safe local authority houses or private landlord um, homes or flats. And that's really difficult to find safe housing. So what we've done, the other sort of part of that vision is if Caring for Life could purchase safe homes and flats in areas that are affordable 
but but safe basically for the people we support and we have um, been able to purchase our first one of those and our aim is that a vulnerable family will be able to move into that before the end of January. So in that case, caring for life is the landlord as well as the people who are going to support them to sustain the tenancy. So if and when they run into difficulties, we'll be able to offer them support rather than eviction. So um, that's another sort of parallel vision. But no, we've absolutely um, almost come right back to desiring to build something. I think the term village might be a little grand for it now. It might be a, a little, a bit lesser um, thing than that. But we really would love to be able to replace what we currently have with places where people would have their own front door and a little bit more independence but support and community and family as well. So we're still praying for that one. Any other questions or will we... Are you happy for me to go on through a few other things? Is that okay? Um, Just watching the DVD there and um, seeing what God is doing in people's hearts... I think sometimes when we're there, we really feel we're walking among spiritual giants very often with the folks that we support. People who've come through so very much and yet the evidence of God's grace in their lives is really, really clear. And I suppose their capacity to to show love and grace and forgiveness, it's so clear that it's God's work in them. And we're daily challenged by their prayers and their love and their Christ-likeness very often. Um, and as I say, coming from so many of the situations that they've come from that have been so difficult, but yet they can see, you can see God working in them. Um, there was one young lady who was quoted there on um, the video. She had been, she'd had lots of struggles in her life. She had been homeless and lived on the streets. She'd struggled with addictions. She'd had a very difficult time. Um, But really you could see that the Lord had gripped her and she was so interested in the things of God and yet so torn. She was coming to Bible studies. She was asking the awkward questions. She was um, disagreeing loudly. At one point she said, this is messing my head. All this God stuff is messing my head. So I'm going to leave it. I'm not going to bother with it. It's not real. I'm going to leave it. And I can remember being on a presentation similar to this at the time she'd said that to me and I had just asked the folks would they pray that God would continue to mess her head and gently draw her to himself Um, and God has she's the one who said that she knows that God hears all of her dear God prayers Um, but God in his graciousness I think sometimes comes very very close to the people that we look after and makes his presence very very real to them I can remember one day she said to me she said she came up to the farm. She came up for Bible study on the, um, that afternoon, and she said, "I wasn't going to come. All this God stuff was annoying me. I wasn't going to come." And I thought, "How do I even know? How do I even know that God's real? How do I know any of this is real?" And she said, "I was eating my lunch, and I turned on the news, and on the middle of the news, in the middle of the lunchtime news, some old boy was on the TV screen, and he was pointing at me, and he said, Jesus loves you.'" And it was the reporting of the death of Billy Graham that she was watching on TV. And the news had played a short clip of one of his sermons. And she said to me, how could God put an old bloke on my TV telling me that Jesus loved me? Um, God in his grace 
has drawn her to himself. And we are often dealing with people whose lives are still very messy. Life doesn't automatically sort itself out. But God is there and the difference is palpable. And the difference that he makes, as the song says, makes one touch from the King of Kings changes everything. Um, And it's just glorious to see God's grace in messy lives. And I think, you know, we so appreciate your prayers because very often the work that we're doing, we don't quite know what the right thing to do is. Sometimes there is no right thing to do and sometimes there is no solving or fixing. But there is seeing the grace of God in the toughest of circumstances. And that's a very, very precious thing. And I suppose very often, one of the things as a staff team that we would pray at Caring for Life is that we just don't want to get in God's way. It's clear that God is working. It's clear that we don't have the wisdom to know what to do most of the time. So we just want to, um, I suppose, keep in step with him and not get in his way, but really to fulfill his purposes as he's working. The whole area of the future of housing is an area where we need great wisdom. Um, and we're trying to develop things in that area. One of the other areas where we're also seeking wisdom and trying to develop our work is the area of supporting people who are really falling foul of the benefits system. And again, without getting very political or technical, I have a colleague who is very good at getting both. She now understands the benefits system brilliantly. But that's a recent appointment for Caring for Life. We now have a benefits support worker who will um, help people with these massive forms, their online applications, excuse me, attending assessments and things. And very often, I suppose, the folks that we support, the difficulties that they live with aren't always very able to be seen on the surface. Sometimes it's anxiety and it's mental health and it's very, very debilitating conditions but it's not always easy for them to express that. Um, I mean, we've had examples of people with very evident learning disabilities who maybe have grown up in the care system or um, have had fairly chaotic lives. And when they're asked to prove that they've got a learning difficulty, they can't go back to a filing cabinet and find a piece of paper and say, I've got it. So they don't have the capacity to prove that they don't have the capacity and they find themselves totally stuck. So we're spending a lot of our time supporting people through that kind of system. And again, in the worst of circumstances, we've had the great privilege of sharing Jesus' love with people who are overwhelmed. We've had, um, and those of you who've been following it in the bulletin, we've had some very um, difficult situations where some of the folks we're supporting have actually attempted to take their own life in the moment of receiving um, maybe news that they're not going to get their benefits. The anxiety is overwhelming. The fear is overwhelming. We've one lovely young man who's got severe memory problems and we knew that there were benefits letters due to come to him. His support worker said, as soon as you get the letter, bring it to us. We'll help you. Don't worry about it. He got the letter. He panicked. He took an overdose. Thankfully, he was found and he's fine and we were able to support him. But these are crisis moments in people's lives and we're dealing with very vulnerable and very fragile lives. So we would appreciate your prayers for great wisdom and God's grace in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all our lack of wisdom at times um, and lack of ideas of, of how, to, how to support and manage. Um, just a couple of other areas 
for your prayers. We are developing as well, and have over the last few years developed um, a work among those people who are supported by our being their team, our housing support team, who have children in their care. We don't do any direct support work with children, but we are supporting um, parents among that group of people. So we really have a heart for the children who are in their care um, and trying to support them to be the best parents that they can be in often difficult circumstances and trying to support those children. So that particular team meet those families at every holiday we have Christmas, Easter, summer events for the families and we're very much praying for those children as well and really trying to, I suppose, aiming that some of the difficulties that their parents had in their childhood might not be difficulties that they would experience, that they might be able to be better parents than they were able than the parenting they had and that's something that the team are really keen to develop and to support as well as time goes on. Um, one aspect of the work that I didn't mention, which is a fairly recent development over the last four or five years, is that we now have a number of social enterprises on site, which are um, businesses that are aimed at supporting the work of the charity. So for those of you who have been there, we have a lovely old barn, which has been converted into a restaurant. We have a little coffee shop. The conversion of the barn was actually a gift from a supporter. Um, a businessman who wanted to help us be able to sustain ourselves into the future. So that's been an amazing provision. Um, so we have the restaurant and the coffee shop. We also have a lovely nursery, um, garden nursery. Again, a lovely big glass house, which was from another supporter. Um, and we have a farm shop as well. And the, the aim of these very much was to help the charity sustain the work that we're doing. Um, thankfully, they have become very popular in the local community and people just come because the food's lovely, not because it supports a charity. And in fact, lots of people don't know that there's a charity connected. And we've actually found that to be a wonderful opportunity for the gospel as well. The, co- the coffee shop and the restaurant have become a ministry in themselves as people say, well, what is it that goes on here and what's this all about? So that's been a lovely opportunity too. We also have beneficiaries who are comfortable and able to do that, who work in the coffee shop the restaurant, the nursery, um, and the farm shop. And that's been a great opportunity for some of our folks who feel happy to interact with the public um, to be there. But as you know, the public aren't always straightforward. So there's a number of our folks who um, prefer to spend their days in a more supported environment. So we have a, a sort of part of the farm that's open to the public. And then beyond that, it's our therapeutic projects where the public don't come Um, and that's where people are spending their days with the horses on equestrian or in the poultry project or any of the other things that are going on. So um, in terms of where we go from here and where we go next, very much our hearts are, as you asked, on the issue of housing, safe homes for people. Um, Our hearts are also with how we develop the, I suppose, advisory aspect of the work to support people who are falling foul of a benefit system and are getting into extreme poverty or um, extreme chaos as a result of that. Um, and a big part of, I mean, we've always run a sort of food program as well, where I know 
you may be aware, lots and lots of churches give us their harvest um, food and their harvest offerings. And through that, we're able to give food parcels to the folks who support across the city right through the year. But actually, we've noticed a great increase in the need for emergency food parcels as a result of people um, between benefits and benefits being stopped. So we want to develop that aspect of the work too. But we're very um, conscious of the call of God to this ministry and how we want to be very, very practically helpful to people but keep it an absolutely unashamedly gospel ministry. So we do appreciate your prayers um, for wisdom and all of that, for our interface with statutory agencies and really just to bring honour to the name of the Lord in every way that we can and, um, and within the local community too who use the coffee shop and use the restaurant. Um, we want everything that happens at Caring for Life to lift up the name of Jesus and we want him to have the glory for every, every little bit of help that can be given. So we greatly appreciate your fellowship in the gospel. We greatly appreciate your prayers and your interest. And in fact, when we were at the prayer meeting on Friday morning, um, the guys, uh, our beneficiaries, were praying for you. They were praying for today's service. And one or two did say to me, Will you tell them about me? Will you tell them my story? Will you tell them of how I prayed for this and how I did that? So um, there's probably one or two stories that I've promised to tell that I haven't told you. So maybe I can tell you afterwards as we're talking. But there is a very strong sense from our beneficiaries that our supporters are like extended family. They talk, as you heard, about caring for life, being a family. But they know that we are sustained by the prayers and the support of God's people. And they actually are very conscious of that and count all of you as part of the extended family. And any of you who come to Supporters Day, our guys really look forward to that. It's like getting to show off to everybody who comes. Um, And there's no sense in which they feel um, who are these people. They really look forward to being able to show off what they've done and to be able to share and to enjoy that wider extended family. So if you have an interest in the work of Caring for Life. I know many of you here get our bulletin, but we put out a monthly prayer bulletin where we try to keep our extended family up to date with what's happening at Caring for Life. And we do put more sensitive information into the bulletin, things that wouldn't ever go onto the website. And that really is only for our prayer-supporting family. But that's something that you're very welcome to become part of if you have um, a desire to pray for this ministry and to share with us in it. Um, and those who I know many here already do that. But you're very welcome. There's some information at the back. There are some other DVDs to take away um, or leaflets or booklets. Um, but really, we value your prayers. We value your support and your fellowship in the gospel. And the bulletin is the main way to find out everything that's happening. Um, other things just slightly to draw your attention to as well, we have a gap year program for um, young people. We call it our Time for Jesus year, where they come and really just fill in all sorts of jobs around caring for life and get an insight into pastoral ministry. So again, there's leaflets about that at the back and leaflets about other things if you're interested. Um, one of the ladies we support, we, we our Time for Jesus volunteers are a big part of what we do. They really sort of oil the wheels of everything. You never know where they're going to be um, because they just do every job that's needed. But we call them our TFJs for short. 
and um, one of the ladies we support was commenting one day, they're great, aren't they, the TFJs? They're working here, they're working there, they're multitasking, they're everywhere. She said, it's a wonder they've any time for Jesus at all. So we thought we wouldn't put that on our advertising. Come to Caring for Life and you'll have no time for Jesus. Uh, we promise it's not like that. But it's a very busy year and it's not an easy year. But if you know of any young people with a heart for pastoral ministry in a gap year, it's a great opportunity to serve the Lord um, in a very practical way. But do feel free to help yourself to the literature, to ask us questions, to um, talk more fully if you want to. But if there's any other questions at this stage... I was just wondering, with the cultural climate being what it is, and some groups being quite opposed to Christian ministries, do you face a lot of opposition, or how can we be praying for you with that, or do you find that it hasn't really affected you at Caring for Life? Yes and yes. <laughs> um, we're in the interesting position of currently we receive no contract So we receive no government funding whatsoever. And again, those of you who know the history know that at a stage we did, we received supporting people funding, um, which created a different dynamic. Um, we are very aware of being under scrutiny and the eyes of the world being upon us, especially in all our interface with statutory agencies. We want our standards to be higher than the world's standards and we want to be able to be scrutinised in that sense. Um, so we are very careful about people's rights and people's freedom of choice. You know, very, very clear as well that when you come to care for them, you're not and try to exceed the standards that, that the world would put on us. It's, um, I suppose, having worked in the secular world, in the statutory sector before, I'm still constantly amazed at the freedom that we get. Um, and I think it comes from, in large part, the fact that we are funded by the Lord's people and we don't get government funding and we're there for we're free to say this is who we are. I also think it's a constant challenge to make sure that the help we give is of a high quality so that people want it. Like the guy who said, you know, they're all Christians there, but they're all right. You know, if, if that's the case, they'll still want that help, even though it's a Christian charity. But it, yeah, lots of wisdom required. Um, actually, at the minute as well, as, which has been an answer to prayer, we have had times in the past when we had a difficult enough relationship with, say, Leeds City Council or whatever, we have a, a really good relationship at the minute. And there are a number of Christians in good places in Leeds, and that has helped too. Um, one of the things that caused us a little difficulty in the past 
was our ethos of therapeutic activity. Generally, on a practical level, we feel that to get out and you know, throw a few hay bales around and groom a few horses is really good for people with whatever kind of difficulties. And there would have been a kind of objection in the past in social services that we were forcing people to work on a farm. Um, and we were really making the point of the therapeutic value of belonging and being part of a team and of the task. I think that case has been made and people really respect that now. So there's a, a lot of answered prayer in that too. say a little bit more about the Supporters Day, just for anyone who may not be aware of what that is and what it involves. We have Supporters Day, um, which was traditionally, for those of you who know, always in September, um, but we've changed it this year, and the Supporters Day is going to be on the 13th of July, Saturday the 13th of July, and that's a day when you'll see it'll be advertised in the prayer bulletin, but all our supporters are invited to come to the farm. So that's a day when we scrub up and we um, ch- change the cattle barn into a church auditorium. <laughs> Teams of people come and help us scrub down chairs. Um, and we have a, a day, really, of thanksgiving to God for all that's happening. From our beneficiaries' point of view, they put on equestrian displays. They put on art displays. They invite people to come into their project areas and show off, really. We have a big Thanksgiving service. We have a presentation of certificates. All of our beneficiaries who want to do that, come and do it. And if you come, you'll get to meet lots of them. Any who are uncomfortable with that or anxious or not happy, they just don't show up at all, and that's fine. Um, It's only for those who really are, are able to do that. But so many of our beneficiaries really, really look forward to that. And it's really the only day of the year where we open our projects and we say, come and see what we do. The rest of the year we're quite protective of the supported environment of the projects, the sort of care environment. Um, so we don't have people, members of the public wandering in or anything. And Supporters Day isn't actually for the public, it's only for our prayer supporters and it's all those that community of folks in our bulletin. What we've also been doing over the last couple of years is trying to introduce a new generation to what's happening at Caring for Life. So we have run a Farmtastic Fun Day for children and young people. That's now going to be incorporated this year into our July Supporters Day. So there will be children's activities um, and a children's sort of club-style Thanksgiving service as well as some youth activities and the normal Supporters Day activities and our Thanksgiving service. So that information will all be in the bulletin as it comes, but there will be a program through the day that you can come and dip in and out of. And if you want... I have to say, it's my favourite day of the year. Um, We have... We have an open day in June as well, which is like a fundraiser fun day where there's lots more sort of fun activities. But it's not as... Supporters Day is the family day. It's an absolutely lovely day at Caring for Life and a day that is a big highlight for so many of our uh, so many of our beneficiaries. And I do feel it's like showing off to your extended family. They're not folks necessarily who are going to have long-lost aunties turning up to cheer them on, but our supporters come and fulfil that role for them. And it's a... Very nice day. So yes, you're all invited. <laughs> if that's something that you can do. Okay, I'll just finish with uh, one or two verses that are very precious to us. Unless there's anybody, was there somebody waving? Was there? 
<laughs> denying all knowledge. A while ago, uh, Gail, <coughs> there was talk about having to replace or trying to replace Tyndall House for men. Are you under any pressure at all because of uh, social services standards to replace it in any way? Um, no, Tyndall House um, is our, yeah, our gentleman's home and it's a, it's a lovely building actually, but it's over four floors. So we would love to replace that because as a charity being 32 years old as a charity, some of our gents are 32 years older than when we started looking after them. Um, so from that, from a very practical point of view, we're feeling a pressure to replace it. But in terms of social services standards, it meets all the standards. It's a house of multiple occupancies, so it meets the standards of having enough kitchens and social areas and all those things. And in itself, it's actually a lovely home. Um, maybe in an ideal world, if we could afford to replace it, but keep that and maybe have that as a short-term safe housing for young men in transit or something. I don't know. It's a lovely home. We get to give it up, but we do feel a need to find, I suppose, more accessible accommodation as our gents age a little bit. But it currently meets all the standards, thankfully. So there's not an urgent pressure to replace that. Recently, you've been looking for um, people to fill vacancies in the two homes. What happens to them when they leave? Um, basically one of two things. The folks who've left our homes in recent times, some have actually moved on to slightly more independence, which has been lovely to see. We had one young lady who, after 14 years of supported living, decided she wanted to live independently. Now, independently means... She comes to the farm every day. She has a support worker who goes and helps her with anything she needs help with. She gets lifts. She gets her lunch. You know, she's moved on to a little bit more independence, which has been a huge triumph for her. So we've had one or two who've been able to do that. I mean, one of our guys lived 22 years in supported living in Tyndall before he got his flat, which you're not allowed to call a flat. It's an apartment. Um, so... Moving on to greater independence is possible for some of our guys, but the family of Caring for Life is still there. They still attend the farm, they still have support workers, they still get help. Um, the other route that some folks have had to go is to move on to greater care. Our two homes are supported living homes. They're not residential homes in which we can give personal care. So if somebody's medical needs increase and they need nursing care or personal care, then they have to move somewhere that they can get greater care. So it's really to greater independence or to greater dependence, our homes are sort of a middle level of that. Having said that, the folks who've moved on to get greater care, again, are still part of the family, still come into the farm as much as they're able to. It's almost like a, a retirement move for them. Whereas part of our vision would be in the future housing that we'd love to have, it would maybe be more suitable for them in later years. Even more suitable for care to come in if it was needed. That's part of the thinking too. So yeah, the, the folks who've moved on um, have just needed something slightly different. But they're all thankfully in touch with us and around and part of the family still. Okay, I was just going to 
read a couple of verses that um, are very precious, precious to us. One is from Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. And it's saying, to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. We are very conscious sometimes of the people we support not having anybody to speak up for them, not having anybody in their corner, anybody who has their back. And it's a great privilege to be that person, to be the person who can actually open your mouth for somebody who doesn't have a voice or doesn't find it easy to use that voice. Um, So we appreciate your prayers for wisdom in how to do that um, and for God's grace in how to do that and for, I suppose, that our desire to show Jesus' love through that. And the other verse I was going to leave with you is a a favourite of mine um, from Colossians 1. I think a lot of the times when we go into situations, we just don't know what to do. It just looks like a hopeless situation. You just turn up and you think, what on earth can we do? And yet, we're not going in in our own strength. We're not opening our mouth for the oppressed and speaking in our own words or our, our own capacity or our own strength. Because sometimes all that we can bring is we can bring our saviour to the situation. And the verse I wanted to read is um, it's Colossians 1, um, 27 or 28, I think. And it's, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And whatever situation we go into, I remember hearing it said that as a Christian we can't go into a hopeless situation. Because when we go into any situation, we bring Christ in us, the hope of glory. And just that desire to bring, to bring Christ to every person and to bring every person to Christ, that's, that's our greatest wish. And that's where our hope comes from, not on our own plans and cleverness and um, even in lobbying and all those important things too, but to, to bring Christ into every situation. So thank you for your interest and your prayers and your fellowship. I'll be happy to talk further. Thank you.